The brother of our Lord Jesus, James, writes in his little epistle that it's not enough to say you have faith. You have to show it by what you do. Today, we're going to have an opportunity to hear from a speaker who will call us to do just that. We're privileged today to have Mr. Kurt Smith. He's a seventh-generation Hoosier with a passion for promoting faith, family, and freedom. Kurt is president of the Indiana Family Institute. He's a columnist for the Indianapolis Business Journal. He's a frequent advisor to national and state campaigns and office holders, including uh, Vice President-elect Mike Pence. He's not an IWU grad. He is an IU grad. They just left one important letter out. Has a double major in journalism and speech, and he holds a master's in theology from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. While he is not an IWU grad, he and his family have deep connections to the IWU community, with a number of them having degrees here and have studied here. He and his wife, Debbie, have raised their four children in Zionsville, just outside of Indianapolis. And I hope you will open your heads and you will open your hearts and lean in to hear our speaker today, who, when he comes up on stage, makes me feel like a midget. Kurt, come on up. Welcome. Well, thank you. I can assure you John's a spiritual giant, even though I might uh, have a little more stature on him, but it's a, indeed a privilege for uh, us, really. A lot of family members are here today for us to be with you and to share from our family's heart with the Iwu community in this chapel series on the will of God. And uh, what a beautiful place. This is my first time in here. It's remarkable. Just gorgeous and fantastic praise and worship music. So I'm so honored and pleased to be here today to just share a word with you about uh, taking the scriptures and making them very practical as we encourage you today to sign up for a bone marrow registry. And I'll explain why. Now, the title of this year's series or this semester's series is The Will of God. The prelude to knowing the will of God is knowing God. Knowing God, the infinite, the almighty, the all-powerful can be challenging. He is so big and beautiful and bright and bold and boundless. And those are just some of the B-letter words that come to mind. It's very hard sometimes to feel like we know God. For example, God created everything we can see, touch, taste, feel, even imagine with the word. Let there be light. One word. That includes the vastness of the universe out there, 100 to 200 billion galaxies, and the intricacies, the internal intricacies of 37 trillion cells inside our bodies, hopefully working in harmony. Yet God is neither contained nor constrained by his creation. That challenges my small mind. So I need help to better, better understand the immense infinity of creation and the intimate intricacy of each life God has wrought. To put it in the unrefined language that came to me as a young journalist starting my career up the road in Fort Wayne as an unchurched pagan, searching for answers, trying to answer those famous questions from journalism of who, what, when, where, how, and why. I came to the conclusion that there is a creation, therefore there has to be a creator. But I wasn't sure I could know him, and I wasn't sure at all that he was interested in me. And that began my walk of faith 35 years ago. In those early days, as well as now, the Apostle John's writings in the Bible are the most helpful. In particular, 
John gives us three simple, single-word definitions of God. John, I think, has a very crisp, clear writing style. And we find in 1 John, at verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 15, that God is light. And then later in that same book, chapter 4, verse 8, John tells us God is love. And then in the Gospel of John, verse 14, in the first chapter, he says, God is the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So let me take those three words and unpack them briefly as we just kind of remind ourselves of the goodness and greatness and vastness of God. First, God is light. That's creation. That's Genesis 1. Again, God said, let there be light. I'm intrigued that the the doctors tell us that every time a new life is formed, when the sperm and the egg come together, there's a flash of light. I think that's just God's hearkening back to Genesis 1. We know from the physicists that that light is just one of four known forces in the universe. Can you, can you grasp that? Everything we can see, everything we experience is governed by four simple forces. The first is light, the electromagnetic spectrum. Invisible light is just a small part of that. We got x-rays and microwaves and TV and radio and magnetism and lasers. That's one of the forces, light. The other is gravity. And that's also very important. Numbers three and four are kind of hard to grasp. They're about the internal workings of the atom. Because of the strong force, nuclear weapons are really powerful. And because of the weak force, radioactive material decays at a predictable and steady rate. So we grasp something of God's infinite vastness by knowing that he is light. God is also love. Now, that's the one we all like. That's the familiar, God is love, he loves me, he cares for me, and that's true, certainly, although we need to appropriate that gift and make it our own. Uh, It's easy to remember the verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And most of us like to camp out there, especially the cultural Christians among us who uh, know something about the gospel and know something about God. But then we come to John's third one-word definition for God. God is the Word. That's the Greek word. The original language in the New Testament is Greek, of course. And the word is logos, from which we get logic and logical and logistics and other words like that. The word which is God is written. It's formal. It's precise. It's enduring. It's unchanging. You put it down on paper, it's, it's there when you come back. Uh, It's not an accident that the Romans revolutionized the legal framework of the world right before Christ came because they just started writing the law down. That was one of the major innovations of the Roman Empire. They just wrote the law down. That expression, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, that came about because you could know. You could know what the Romans do. You could know what the law was. And then Christ came and brought the true law, God's law. And from that The rule of law came, Western civilization grew from that seedbed, and we learned that law can be firm and fixed and unchanging. From that, we get man's positive law. So with those three brief one-word reminders about God's nature, let's now look at God's will by focusing on the passage at Matthew 22, 34 to 40. If you could put the verse up on the screen. I'm just going to cut to uh, uh, if the next slide, please. Uh, the lawyer comes, and Christ responds, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. With this simple command in two parts, Jesus answers the questions at the heart of philosophy, at the heart of theology, and even at the heart of politics. And in so doing, he tells us God's will for ourselves and for the community we share, whether it's an Iwu chapel or the city of Marion, the state of Indiana, or beyond. The Greek philosopher Aristotle stated it another way. All of our lives, he said, are built around just trying to answer two questions, answer them fully and well, but there's just two questions. What is the good life? What is the good society? Aristotle rightly said, we can't live alone in isolation. We need to have a good society to have a good life. If when we walked out of here, we were confronted by murderers and rapists and thieves and terrorists, it would be very hard to have life at all, let alone a good life. So we're here today to suggest to you a way to enhance your own life by serving others and be a very practical help to people in need. And we are here as the family of Andrew Smith to suggest a powerful way you can enhance your life by serving others. We offer this because the Bible teaches clearly that loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength is the good life. And the good society, or as Christ calls it in John 10.10, 10, the abundant life involves loving your neighbor as yourself. This is his will for us. And that's why we're here today, to ask you to help your fellow man by registering with the bone marrow donor program known as Be the Match. So our son Andrew had a great run at basketball. He was a standout in Indiana high school basketball. He was recruited pretty heavily by your coach, Greg Tonigal, here at IWU. You'd think with all the family here in town, his grandparents and everything, they would have been able to woo him to campus. But Andrew wanted to stay in Indianapolis to be close to dad, I'm sure. I don't think it had much to do with his girlfriend or his mom or his siblings or all of his friends or anything, I, I, you know, but I digress. Uh, he played his heart out every game. He didn't play all that much as a freshman. Several times he got in, he scored his first points in a game in Alabama, shooting free throws. And then Butler got in the NCAA tournament and just did really, really well. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've uh, spoken a few times about Andrew, but it's always challenging. And uh, he got to go into the game in what they call the Elite Eight. You know, they start off with 64 teams, and then there's 32 and 16. So you get to the Elite Eight, and if you win this game, you're going to the Final Four. You're in basketball for one more week. Butler's playing in Salt Lake City against Kansas State, a really big, tall team. And Andrew, as you could tell from the video, was 6'11" really 6'10", but they give you the Nike inch, so he put his shoes on, and they said he was 6'11". And um, Coach had kind of warned him, Coach Stevens, Andrew, this might be the game where we really need you. And sure enough, the other center, Matt Howard, got in foul trouble. That happened a lot, but Matt did it early in this game. So Andrew went in, played 11 great minutes, had a couple points, rebounds. His coach later told him, Andrew, it's because of you. We made it back to Indianapolis for the Final Four. So he got to play in the Saturday game against Michigan State, and then Monday night, national TV, Andrew's in front of 70,000 people in his hometown of Indianapolis, and coach put him in the game. He got to play. Uh, Butler lost, as you may know. Duke won that in one of the best games ever in the NCAA tournament. The next year, Andrew's sophomore year, he started as the center, 
And Butler made an even more improbable run back to the Final Four in the national championship game. Again, they lost the game uh, down in Houston. And he played his junior and senior year, had a lot of fun, a lot of good games, wasn't as memorable as those first two years. He ended his college career as an academic All-American, has a couple Butler records, most rebounds in an NCAA tournament game, and he had 100 wins, 1,000 points, and 600 rebounds. Only two other uh, big men have played on, on teams with that good a record. He graduated in May of 2013, married his college sweetheart, Samantha, and tried out with several NBA teams over the summer. Uh, the Oklahoma Thunder took the longest look. They had him in their league for two weeks, but he tried out with the Pacers and the Sun and the Bulls, and I think there were some other teams. But alas, uh, no team uh, picked him, so he headed off to Europe to play international professional basketball, kind of navigate his way back into uh, the NBA, he and Samantha and his agent thought. But over there in Europe, in Lithuania, he got sick. He got, he got very sick. And... Uh, <clears throat> Spoiler alert, if you didn't watch the video, if you don't know our story, this, from an earthly perspective, this, this doesn't end real well. So Andrew flew home in January of 2014 and uh, moved in with us and started intense chemotherapy. Their crazy dog, Charlie, arrived a couple weeks later. In uh, 2014, Charlie had more frequent flyer miles than anyone in our family. Uh, I think they spent about $20,000 moving that dog around the globe. Um, Andrew, unfortunately, was diagnosed with a tough type of blood cancer called lymphoblastic lymphoma. For the nursing and uh, medical people here, it was actually the T-cell version of that. The prognosis all along was 50-50, about half make it, about half don't. But he initially responded very well to the chemo. And despite being very sick and actually having his heart stop for 22 minutes, without any complications, no brain damage, nothing. People doing CPR, medics kept him alive for 22 minutes until his uh, heart started beating again. Um, even with those uh, miraculous, literally, developments, the cancer returned, and it returned with a vengeance in May of 2015. So Andrew decided to have a bone marrow transplant. That was the option that would potentially give him a cure. There were some things he could do to kind of hang in there and maintain and maybe wait a couple years and see if a cure or better medicine was developed. But he decided to go for the bone marrow transplant. And that while preparing for the transplant, which is really a transfusion of liquids, it's not they don't cut open your bones and put marrow in there, it's, it's an infusion of, a, of stem cells. Uh, they learned a lot about uh, the process. There are about 27 million people today signed up for the bone marrow registry. Uh, two years ago, it was 25 million. Andrew was told that because of his ethnic background, Caucasian, it would be pretty easy to find a match for him if no one in the family would, would turn out to be a match. Siblings are always the first choice. Uh, but he was told that for Asian Americans, Hispanics, African Americans, it's much, much harder. That really resonated. Samantha's uh, mom is from Thailand, so she's uh, Asian American. And um, they, they really internalized that message and decided they wanted to be involved in helping the bone marrow registry. Again, for Andrew, a donor was found, we believe, from Germany. They maintained strict anonymity, so we don't know. But he then went through the agonizing, difficult, brutal process of beating the cancer back into remission with chemo, destroying his own immune system, and then having the cells uh, infused. 
And again, for you, you medical people here, these are adult stem cells or ethical stem cells. So he maintained his pro-life position even in these difficult days. But the procedure did not work, and he got the bad side of the 50%, despite great medical care. Unbelievable support from Butler, our family, friends, strangers. We couldn't have asked for more help and support. And he decided uh, that he wanted to take whatever goodwill he had accumulated and have it help the Be The Match Foundation improve the numbers and diversity of the bone marrow registry. So that's why we're here today, to ask you to help us do that as one way of loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, you'll be relieved to know it's really easy and it's not painful. You would think something this important, I'd be asking you to have an arm cut off or something. All you have to do is go to one of the tables in the student center, and there'll be tables and sign-ups at the basketball games over the weekend as well, and have your cheek swapped with a cotton swab. And a couple skin cells from inside your mouth will hang on the cotton, and they'll send it off with your contact info. They're going to talk to you also about being available should you become a match and what that means. That process is a little more involved, but it's still, in some cases, it's very simple. One of the procedures, they actually use anesthesia, so there's some mild risks there, but it's not difficult. You don't have to have your bones cut open and your bone marrow sucked out. We need this because every uh, three minutes, a new person is diagnosed with a blood cancer disorder. Every 10 minutes, someone dies from this malady. Doctors tell us that about 30% of the people will find a match in their family. Uh, so that means the other 70% are out in the registry looking for a donor, looking for blood antigens that match up with their ethnic and unique cellular structure. For many of those souls, a bone marrow transplant will be their best hope, maybe their only hope. So becoming a donor, as I said, is very simple. And the folks from the Be The Match who are here this weekend will help you do that and, and do that with great awareness. And who knows, you might even become a match. And when and if a match is found, they will want you to be uh, responsive. So we would ask uh, that you would, would do that. So far, we only know of two matches that have happened because they were Andrew's teammates. So he had 12 teammates and two matches. So you can imagine if we signed up 1,000 people today, and over the weekend, we may have a significant uh, number of matches. But because of the anonymity, we don't know for sure. We're going to keep at this until we are pretty sure we've found 44 matches. And that was Andrew's number at Butler. So that's, that's our goal, uh, even though it's going to be hard to know those uh, things for sure. Now, as a family, we've learned a lot more than how to do bone marrow drives. And, and I want to just briefly share three lessons with you as the body of Christ as uh, young people who may not have confronted cancer very directly yet. Uh, the first one is that there is far more pain and suffering and trouble in the world than, than we realize. And because of our experience and Andrew being a very public figure, lots of people come up and tell us their story. And just know, ask people, talk to people in the dorm. When you're home for the holidays, find out what's going on with your uncle. In your aunt. There's a lot of pain and hurt out there, and most of the time we don't talk about it. But because of our circumstance, a lot of people opened up to us. I had people I knew for years tell me they lost a son to suicide, or that they buried a child 25 or 30 years ago. People I'd worked with in 
you know, some proximity, some professional engagement. One is a TV journalist in Indianapolis. His son had bipolar and ended up overdosing on drugs. So there's a lot more pain out there. Secondly, it's, it's related. We need help. I need help. You need help. You may not know it, but you need a lot of help. I know I need a lot of help after what we've been through. And I hope you will be generous and graceful in serving others. We had so many expressions of kindness. Um, letters, checks, cards. People would leave baskets of food on our porch from our, our church. And it was so meaningful and so special to us. Andrew once commented to a reporter that one of the very few things he could keep down was ginger ale, and we soon had about 30 kinds of ginger ale in our house. You would not believe. I knew about Canada Dry, but there's Seagram's, and there's all these off-brands, and then you got every one of them in diet also. And he had ginger ale like you would not believe. His coach, Brad Stevens, came to see him one time, and Andrew was too sick to go to lunch, and he said, let, let me just have some Gatorade, and let's talk a little bit. Coach sent a pallet of Gatorade that was delivered by FedEx, had to back a semi-truck down our driveway and unload 480 one-quart bottles of Gatorade. And the guy apologized because the protein drinks were separated and those were delivered later. You might, this is kind of a humble brag, I'm just telling you, we experience, I mean, the governor would call me, what can I do? My mentor, U.S. Senator Dan Coates would call. We had great docs, we had good insurance, all the things that were done. Friends were volunteering airplanes. Mayo Clinic had its door open. He could have gone to MD Anderson in Texas. He chose IU in Indianapolis. We're confident he had great, great care. But just know we need help, all of us. But he didn't make it. And on his funeral night, I was so humbled to have 1,500 people come out on a very bitter, cold January night, January I think it was 16th was the date of the funeral. Your own Dr. Wright from Iwu came. He's very close to my in-laws who are sitting right down here, Jim and Edra Suter. Just take your cues from these people and be generous. Now, the ultimate help, you won't be surprised to hear me say, is, is faith. Um, and, and that's the most important help. And here, too, those of you who know the Lord Jesus and have a deep and abiding faith can share that as well. We have a word for those who lose their parents. We call them orphans. We have a word for those who lose their spouse. They're a widow or a widower. There's no word in the English language for a parent who loses their child. It's just something that's really hard to describe, and we don't have words for it. I know how hard it's been for me, and my prayer is that I would do it well. And um, you just have to know that your faith is going to get you through this. And we have seen that in so many powerful, powerful ways. One passage that especially uh, spoke to me is from 2 Corinthians. Maybe I liked it because I could introduce it as 2 Corinthians and see if you guys know the Trump joke. Yeah, a little, little ripple of laughter in the room. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, 12 really uh, spoke to us. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested 
in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in you, in us, but life in you. As I read that passage, I realized God our Father lost his son as well. He sent Jesus to die for us, that we could be saved. And Andrew had that confidence and faith as he slipped into eternity. And our prayers were answered. He doesn't hurt anymore. He is healed. Now, as Senator Coates told me, he's probably not playing basketball with a lot of NBA guys because he doesn't think there's a whole lot of them up there. Maybe it's Johnny Wooden or somebody like that, but we think he's playing basketball. He may have a pet lion. Um, and he's in that eternal glory that, that God has given us. So we ask you today to sign up for this registry and to do it as an act of service to your fellow neighbor. What a witness. What an opportunity. And it could be that you would even save a life uh, in the process as you honor Andrew's legacy of love. Now, I've been asked to make a broader point, and I work in public policy every day, so let me conclude by just helping you connect the dots. That commandment we read, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, I think is the one in Luke. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Loving our, your neighbor as ourselves, what we're asking you to do today through the Be the Match, sometimes called the golden rule, is also what's at the heart of public policy the stuff I do every day at the Indiana Family Institute. If I know the truth and yet don't share it with others in a winsome and non-judgmental way, and those are important qualifiers, then I've failed to love well. There are perhaps half a million elected officials in America. We know about the White House and Congress, but their state houses are full and the courthouses are full, and there's even some elected officials and outhouses, I think, out there somewhere. If Christians turn out in large numbers, we're going to have more moral, more concerned, more caring, more engaged people in these offices. And the actions they take on our behalf are going to be more consistent with the timeless truths and traditions of Scripture. And our public conversations will be very different as well if we're engaged and involved in loving, loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. For example, I know because of my work at the Family Institute, Every social science data point says kids do best when they're raised by their own two parents. That's just a fact. Doesn't always happen. Fortunately, lots of kids who don't have those ideal circumstances turn out fine. But for a percentage, some number, school is tougher. They might have debilitating addictions. They might have trouble with the law. School might be hard. Harder, at least. So we speak out. We say that. It's not always politically popular. It's not politically correct. And we do this on issues like marriage and abortion. And we're maligned and marginalized. But we have to do it. We have to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. So we tell public officials, if you want the economy to grow, if you want schools to work, if you want to empty out the prisons, if you want to see welfare reform, you're pro-family. You want to do everything you can to encourage the family. That is right and good and true, even though sometimes we're demonized as unloving and judgmental. But this is how we love God, with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and care for our neighbor as we love ourselves. 
We come to know the truth, God, and then share that truth again in a winsome way with our neighbors. That's called the gospel. So please know engaging in civic life as a citizen, whether you're writing a letter to the editor, speaking from the pulpit, speaking up in a class here on campus, saying something in a small group or a Bible study, that is loving your neighbor. That is taking God's truth into the marketplace of ideas. And the church has been absent for way too long. And that explains so many of our problems. So thank you for your time and attention today. This has been a wonderful opportunity for our family to come and uh, share with you. And I would like to close now in prayer. And as I do so, I would like you to think about the brevity of time Andrew had from his graduation date to the time he went to meet his Lord. A little shorter than Christ's public ministry, about 30 months, 31 months. And I don't want to be morbid, but it might help you think, what's your plan for the first two and a half or three years coming out of Iwu? How are you going to have an impact? I don't want you to get sick. Believe me, I don't wish that on anyone. It is horrible. But I would like to challenge you as I close this in prayer to live as if you didn't have endless time. So please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this special place and this special school that's devoted itself to knowing you and your will and sharing it with others through teaching in a formal way and other less formal ways. I thank you so much for the impact IWU's had in our family, how it's touched so many, educated so many. Lord, I just impress upon these people today, ask your Holy Spirit to impress on their spirits to sign up for this. This is a great opportunity to love their neighbors as themselves and to begin to think more broadly about what it means to live in community and share the gospel in every aspect of our lives. This we ask in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.